Chapter 1 My Parents and Early Life The characteristic features of Indian culture have long been a search for ultimate verities and the concomitant disciple-guru relationship. My own path led to a Christ-like sage. His beautiful life was chiseled for ages. He was one of the greatest masters who are India's truest wealth. Emerging in every generation, they have bulwarked their land against the fate of ancient Egypt and Babylonia. I find my earliest memories covering the anachronistic features of a previous incarnation. Clear recollections came to me of a distinct life in which I had been a yogi amid the Himalayan snows. These glimpses of the past by some dimensionless link also afforded me a glimpse of the future. I still remember the helpless humiliations of infancy. I was recently cautious of being unable to walk and to express myself freely. Prayerful surges arose within me as I realized my bodily impotence. My strong emotional life was mentally expressed in words of many languages. Amid the inward confusion of tongues, I gradually became accustomed to hearing the Bengali syllables of my people. The beguiling scope of an infant mind. Adulty considered to be limited to toys and toes. Psychological ferment and my unresponsive body brought me to many obscene trying spells. I recall the general family bewilderment at my distress. Happier memories too crowd in on me. My mother's cares and my first attempts at lipsing phrase and toodling steps. These early trim fits, usually forgotten quickly, are yet a natural basis of self-confidence. My far-reaching memories are not unique. Many yogis are known to have retained their self-cautiousness without interruption by the dramatic transition to and from life and death. If man be solely a body, its loss indeed ends his identity. But if prophets down the millennium speak with truth, man is essentially a soul incorporeal and omnipresent. Although odd, clear memories of infancy are not extremely rare. During travels in numerous islands, I have heard very early recollections from lips of various men and women. I was born on January 5th, 1893 in Gorakhpur in northeastern India near Himalayan mountains. There my first eight years were passed. We were eight children, four boys and four girls. I, Mukunda Lal Ghosh, was second son and fourth child. Father and mother were Bengalis of the Kshatriya caste. Both were blessed with saintly nature, their mutual love, tranquil and dignified, never expressed itself frivolously. A perfect parental harmony was the calm center for revolving tumult of eight young lives. Father Bhagavati Charan Ghosh was kind, grave, at times stern. Loving him dearly, we children yet observed a certain reversal distance. An outstanding mathematician and logician, he was guided principally by his intellect. But my mother was a queen of hearts and taught us only through love. After her death, father displayed his more of his inner tenderness. 
I noticed then that his gaze often seemed to be metamorphosized into my mother's gaze. In mother's presence, we children made an early bittersweet acquaintance with the scriptures. Mother would resourcefully summon from the Mahabharata and Ramayana suitable tales to meet the exigencies of discipline. On these occasions, chastisement and instruction went hand in hand. As a gesture of respect for father, in the afternoon, mother would dress us children carefully to welcome him home from the office. He held a position similar to that of vice president in one of the India's largest company, Bengal Nagpur Railway. His work involved traveling. Our family lived in several cities during my childhood. Mother held an open hand toward the needy. Father was also kindly disposed, but his respect for law and order extended to the budget. One forty night, mother spent in feeding the poor more than father's monthly income. All I ask, please, father said, is that you keep your charity within a reasonable limit. Even a gentle rebuke from her husband was grievous to mother. Not hinting to the children at any disagreement, she ordered a hanky carriage. Goodbye. I'm going to my mother's home. Ancient ultimatum. We broke into astound lamentations. Our maternal uncle arrived opportunately. He whispered to father some sage counsel, gained no doubt from the ages. After father had made a few conciliary remarks, mother happily dismissed the cab. Thus ended the only trouble I ever noticed between my parents. But I recall a characteristic discussion. Please give me 10 rupees for a hapless woman who has just arrived at the house. Mother's smile has its own persuasion. Why 10 rupees? One is enough. Father added a justification. When my father and grandparents died suddenly, I had my first experience of poverty. My only breakfast before walking miles to school was a small banana. Later at the university, I was in such need that I applied to a wealthy judge for aid of 1 rupee per month. He declined, remarking that even 1 rupee is important. How bitterly you recall the denial of that rupee. Mother's heart had an instant logic. Do you want this woman also to remember painfully your refusal of 10 rupees which she needs urgently? You win. With the immortal gesture of a vanquished husband, he opened his wallet. Here is a 10 rupee note. Give it to her and with my goodwill. Father tended first to say no to any new proposal. His attitude toward the stranger who so readily had one mother's sympathy was an example of his customary caution. An aversion to instant acceptance is really only honoring the principle of due reflection. I always found father reasonable and evenly balanced in his judgments. If I could bolster up my numerous requests with one or two good arguments, he would invariably put within my reach the coveted goal whether a vacation trip or a new motorcycle. Father was a strict disciplinarian to his children in their early years, but his attitude toward himself was always pattern. He never visited the theatre, for instance, but sought his 
recreation in various spiritual practices and in reading the Bhagavad Gita, shunning all luxuries, he would clinch to one old pair of shoes until they were useless. His sons bought automobiles after they came into popular use. But father was content with the trolley car for his daily raid to the office. Father was not interested in the accumulation of money for the sake of power. On one occasion, after he had organized the Kolkata Urban Bank, he refused to benefit himself by holding any of its shares. He had simply wished to perform a civic duty in his spare times. Several years after father had retired on a pension, an accountant from England came to India to examine the books of Bengal Nagpur Railway. The amazed investigator discovered that father had never applied for overdue bonus. He did the work of three men, the accountant told the company. He has rupees 1,25,000, dollars owing to him as back compensation. The treasurer sent father a check for that amount. My parent thought so little about the matter that he forgot to mention it to the family. Much later, he was questioned by my youngest brother, Bishnu, who had noticed the large deposit on a bank statement. Why we, why be elated by material profit? Father replied. The one who purposes a goal of even-mindedness is neither jubilant with gain nor depressed by loss. He knows that man arrives penniless in the world and departs without a single rupee. Earlier in their married life, my parents became disciples of a great master, Lahiri Mahashaya of Banaras. This association strengthened father's naturally aesthetic temperament. My mother once made a remarkable admission to my elder sister Roma, your father and I sleep together as man and wife only once a year for the purpose of having children. Father met Lahiri Mahashaya through Abhinash Babu, an employee of a branch line of Bangalore Nagpur Railway. In Gorakhpur, Abhinash Babu instructed my young ears with engrossing tales of many Indian saints. He invariably concluded with a tribute to the superior glories of his own Guru. Did you ever hear of the extraordinary circumstances under which your father became a disciple of Lahiri Mahashaya? It was on a lazy summer afternoon as Abhinash and I sat together in the compound of my home that he put this intriguing question. I shook my head with a smile of anticipation. Years before you were born, I asked my superior officer, your father, to give me a week's leave from my office duties in order to visit my guru in Banaras. Your father ridiculed my plan. Are you going to become a religious fanatic? He inquired. Concentrate on your office work if you want to forge ahead. Sadly walking home along a woodland path today, I met your father in a palaquin. He dismissed his servants and conveyance and fell into step as beside me. Seeking to console me, he pointed out the advantages of striving for worldly success. But I heard him listen listlessly. My heart was repeating Lahiri Mahashaya. 
I cannot leave without seeing you. Our path took us to the edge of tranquil field, where the rays of the late afternoon sun were crowning the tall ripple of the wild grass. We paused in admiration. There in the field, only a few yards from us, the form of the great Guru suddenly appeared. Bhagavati, you are too hard on your employee. His voice was resonant in our astonished ears. He vanished as mysteriously as he had come. On my knees, I was exclaiming, Lahiri Mahashaya, Lahiri Mahashaya. For a few moments, your father was motionless, stupefaction. Abhinash, not only do I give you leave, but I give myself leave to start for Benares tomorrow. I must know this great Lahiri Mahashaya, who is able to materialize himself all at will in order to in intercede for you. I will take my wife and ask this master to initiate us on his spiritual path. Will you guide us to him? Of course. Joy filled me at the marvelous answer to my prayer and the quick favorable turn of events. The next day evening, your parents and I entrained for Benares. Reaching there on the following day, we took a horse cart for some distance, then had a walk through narrow lanes to my guru's secluded home. Entering this little parlor, we bowed before the master and locked in his habitual lotus posture. He blinked his piercing eyes and leveled them on your father. Bhagavati, you are too hard on your employee. His words were the same as those he had used two days before in the grassy field. He added, I am glad that you have permitted Abhinash to visit me and that you and your wife has accompanied him. To their joy, he initiated your parents in the spiritual practice of Kriya Yoga. Your father and I as brother disciples have been close friends since the memorable day of vision. Lahiri Mahashaya took a definite interest in your own birth. Your life shall surely be linked with his own. The master's blessing never fails. Lahiri Mahashaya left this world shortly after I entered it. His picture in an ornate frame always graced our family altar in various cities to which father was transferred by the office. Many a morning and evening found mother and me meditating before an improvised shrine, offering flowers dipping in the fragment sandalwood paste with frankincense and myrrh as well as, well as our united devotions. We honored the divinity that had found full expression in Lahiri Mahashaya. His picture had a surpassing influence over my life. As I grew, the thought of Master grew with me. In meditation, I would often see his photographic image emerge from its small frame and taking a living form sit before me. When I attempted to touch the feet of his illuminous body, it would change and again become the picture. As childhood slipped into boyhood, I found Lahiri Mahashaya transformed in mind from a little image crumbled in a frame to a living enlightening presence. I frequently prayed to him in the moments of trail and confusion, finding within me his solacing direction. At first, I grieved because he was no longer physically living. As I began to discover his secret omnipresence, I laminated no more. 
he had often written to those of his disciples who were over anxious to see him why come to view my flesh and bones when i am ever within range of your kushta spiritual sight at about the age of 8 i was blessed with a wonderful healing through the photograph of lahiri mahashaya this experience gave infestation to my love while at our family estate in ichapur bengal i was stricken by asiatic cholera my life was despaired of the doctors could do nothing at my beside mother frankly motioned me to look at lahiri mahashaya's picture on the wall above my head bow him mentally she knew i was too feeble even to lift my hands in salutation if you really show your devotion and inwardly kneel before him your life will be spared i gazed at his photograph and saw there a blinding light enveloping my body and the entire room my nausea and other uncontrollable symptoms disappeared i was well at once i felt strong enough to bend over and touch mother's feet in appreciation of her immeasurable faith in her guru mother pressured her head repeatedly against the little picture 